Welcome to the World Resources Institute podcast. I'm Lawrence McDonald. I'm pleased to welcome today Molly Bergen. Molly, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Molly takes a little more introduction than some of our guests. She has the job that I want. Molly, you are a communications officer for Central Africa, working for an unusual uh, conservation program. And as part of that, you get to wander around Africa, shooting video, talking to people, and recording sounds. And today, we're going to hear three of those marvelous sounds. But before we do, tell our listeners, what is your job? So I do communications for the Central Africa Regional Program for the Environment. It's a USAID initiative. It's been around for more than 20 years, and it's focused on forest conservation and biodiversity and uh, also you know, improving human well-being for the people that live near those forests. And what does that mean on a daily basis? When you're not with us here in Washington, what do you actually do? As you said, it's a, it's a pretty exciting job. I get to go out uh, in the field in Central Africa, not just in the cities, uh, but also go out into the forest and talk to people and find out the impact of these programs actually on the ground in people's lives, you know, in improving species populations, that sort of thing. Your stories are wonderful. Um, we didn't know each other very much until recently, but I've been reading your stuff, and I want to encourage our listeners to go to the Carpe website. We'll put the link at the WI blog that hosts this podcast. Uh, you shoot video, you record sound, and you tell the stories of the people that you meet in a way that lifts up the connections between human well-being and conservation. I remember in particular a story, I think you called it a river of smoke, about charcoal making along the Congo River. Tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, charcoal, and this actually relates to one of the clips that we're going to play, but charcoal is a big threat to the Central African rainforest. Um, for example, in DRC, fewer than 10% of people have electricity. And DRC so being, being Democratic. the Democratic Republic of Congo, sorry. Uh -huh. No problem. Uh, and uh, so fewer than 10% of people have electricity and even fewer in, in rural areas. And so people have to rely on uh, on wood and on charcoal for cooking. And so it's a, yeah, it's a big threat to the forest there. Um, we're going to play these clips, and we're going to ask our listeners to play a guessing game. I'm not going to tell them what it is. You and I will listen, and then I'm going to ask you to tell us about it. Um, Hayden, can we hear the first clip? sounds to me like Africa. When I heard it earlier today, I said, oh, that's thunder. And then I heard that first trumpet. What is it we're hearing? So you're hearing forest elephants. Um, I actually think it sounds a little bit like dinosaurs. Uh, but uh, so this is this recording was taken in the Zangasanga protected area in the Central African Republic. And what does it look like? So it was taken in a bai, which is a large forest clearing where forest elephants tend to congregate. 
sometimes they'll come in, you know, even 100 elephants in one place. So it's really amazing as, uh, as an observer, you climb up into this basically obser wooden observation tower and you're able to see all these elephants at once. Uh, they come to the Bai, uh, this particular one I think has very uh, rich minerals and so they come to drink the water from the Bai. And forest elephants, I seem to recall, they're smaller than other elephants. Is that right? They are. They're smaller than the uh, African savanna elephants. And there's, a, I think, still a bit of a debate about whether they're a subspecies or a completely different species altogether. But they are, uh, they seem to be more threatened than, than savanna elephants. So their numbers are diminishing. And I was going to ask, are these elephants safe? I mean, there's two things in the world I refuse to read about, polar bears and elephants. It just upsets me too much. Every time I see a story about the murder of elephants, I just I refuse to read it. So I don't know as much as I should. You were there. You saw these elephants. Are they now protected? So they are protected in a sense in that they live, they are a protected species and that they're not allowed to be hunted. They live in a protected area for the most part, but they're also they're wild animals, so they can wander in and out, you know, where they want. And uh, they are very much threatened by the ivory trade. And so uh, I believe in the early 2000s, their population decreased by something like 60%. So they're very much, very much in danger of extinction. And so um, some of the Carpe partners, such as WWF and, uh, sorry, the World Wildlife Fund and the Wildlife Conservation Society have been doing really great work to protect these species, um, particularly this region in the Central African Republic and Republic of Congo. There's this one forest and a bit in Cameroon that, uh, you know, a lot of these populations live. Um, but it's a challenge. I mean, even in this, this same site that I went to in, I, I believe, 2013, there were a number of elephants who were slaughtered by poachers that came all the way from Sudan. So it's definitely, you know, it's, it's a challenge that crosses many borders, for sure. One of the themes of your work is often the intersection between biodiversity, natural resources, and human well-being. Is there a win-win story to be told about these elephants and the livelihood of the people who live in and near the forest where the elephants are? Yeah, so first of all, the, or the elephants are incredibly important for the health of the forest. Um, they've done studies about the, I think it's at least a dozen tree species that are only able to disperse their seeds using elephants, basically going through the elephant's intestinal system. So, you know, obviously people rely on the forest as well, and so it's like it is this kind of, you know, in a way, codependent relationship. So you um, lose the elephants, you lose the trees. I think eventually, or it may, maybe you lose at least a lot of the diversity of the forest, yeah. Um, and, you know, I think there's also a ton of tourism potential in this in this region. As, as I said, the ability to see so many elephants at close range is really remarkable. I'd never seen anything like that before. But the challenge is that, you know, for example, when I was in Central African Republic, it was this was in uh, 2017, and there was a bit of conflict going on um, near the capital city, and so I didn't really know what to expect. I'd never been to the country before, and then going here, I mean, it seemed sort of very peaceful and calm, and, you know, but I think in terms of international tourism, I think there's still a lot of fear uh, about going to some of these places, and, you know, it's like they really are desperate for, for more visitors to help support these species and the local communities. No, well, maybe someday I can go and see the elephants. Shall we play the second clip? Sure. Why is that new?
So that one's not elephants. I hear human voices. Um, I'm guessing there's plenty of people there. Yes. Where did you record that? So I recorded that in the market in Goma in Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, And so, you know, one challenge that I have is that I will often go to Central Africa for a few weeks at a time. Um, but maybe I'll only have a couple of days in one place. And so it's, it can be very challenging to, you know, make sure I'm meeting the right people. I'm, you know, able to get enough of a connection with them to, you know, maybe get a good story or get a good quote, that sort of thing. Um, and so one thing that I've that I've started doing is, you know, carrying this auto, audio recorder with me wherever I go and recording a lot of background sounds because I find that, you know, one, I mean, I like to share the sounds, but also it really helps me later in kind of remembering that ambiance and all of that. So um, I think what's interesting about this clip is that, uh, you know, Goma is a place that, you know, if, if you've heard of Goma at all, you probably have just heard that it's, uh, you know, it's a, in, in a very conflicted region of the DRC. Um, that, for example, there's a lot of UN peacekeepers there. Um, it's, you know, close to um, where the current Ebola outbreak is. Um, it just, you know, it doesn't have the best reputation internationally. And so I had a particular, you know, thought of what that might be like to go there. And uh, it actually, when I was there, it was a very different experience. I mean, it was a very vibrant place. Um, and the people are very used to lots of conflict there. They live in the base of a volcano. Um, and so I was, I love the market clip so much because I just felt like, I feel like people in Goma are such amazing entrepreneurs. I mean, they will, you know, do whatever they have to do to make a living. They will, you know, sell like a teaspoon of salt at a time on the street. You know, they'll, they have these amazing vehicles that are really only in that region of the DRC, which are called uh, Chukuru. I don't know that I'm saying it quite right, but it's basically like a giant scooter where they use old tires that are, have been punctured as on these wooden wheels so that they can't, uh, you know, they can't puncture anymore. So it's like very, it's a very, it's a place of a lot of creativity. And, you know, I was very impressed to see sort of everyone, I guess, thriving there in a way that I wasn't quite expecting from, you know, the way the media sometimes portrays it. When I was a uh, young reporter, maybe younger than you are now, I was uh, lucky to be foreign correspondent in China. And, of course, everywhere I went as a white man, I stood out. And sometimes that worked to my advantage. I got access I wouldn't get otherwise. Um, it also meant, though, that I couldn't just fade into the background. I wonder if you have similar kinds of experiences traveling around Africa. I think, as you said, you know, there are advantages and disadvantages to to being a foreigner, in my case, being a white woman in this place. Um, you know, I've, I had a particular time where my uh, Democratic Republic of Congo visa was questioned and, you know, we were delayed on this trip for a day. And then, you know, we had to meet with the, I, I guess, the equivalent of like the governor, essentially. And then he brought in a photographer and took a photo of us shaking hands, you know. And so there's that element, which is a little bit weird. But um, had you been a black African, it might not have gotten resolved so nicely. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, there definitely are advantages in a, you know, kind of inappropriate way. It should not be that way. But um, but then, you know, also I think being a woman, it's kind of this this odd positioning where, you know, I mean, it's harder for a woman there. I mean, I've, you know, been in a lot of situations where, um, you know, I'm at a table with maybe 15 men and there's me. Um, and then, you know, there might be another woman in the room and she's serving tea. And so it's a bit of an odd dynamic. You mentioned to me before something like feeling like you were a third gender, that the women, the local women were, as you said, all serving tea. But you wound up being in a kind of a different kind of 
gender role? I mean, of course, being a woman can be an advantage in that I can then, you know, talk to those women also and, you know, have kind of a rapport with them that I maybe couldn't have with the men. So I feel like, yeah, it it has an advantage being in that role, too, because I can kind of step into both sides of it, I guess. Shall we go to the third clip? Sure. So that is in um, a town in northwestern Democratic Republic of Congo. And uh, obviously you can hear uh, this is the women and the girls of the town welcoming us as we're, you know, arriving. Um, and you probably heard this sort of sound in the background that sounds maybe like drums, is a little bit offbeat. Um, and that's actually the men that are uh, hammering together uh, fuel-efficient stoves, which is a, a project that Carpe supports there through the World Wildlife Fund. Um, why do you like this clip, aside from the obvious appeal of the music? Um, I, I think it's just a great example of, you know, of course, the singing with sort of the welcoming nature of I mean, basically every community that I've, that I've been to, which has been great. Um, but also, you know, I like hearing about the stoves because the stoves, I, I think the fuel-efficient stoves are such a good example of something that can be done on the ground that's very simple, but it can have so many impacts. I mean, you know, like I was saying before, the stoves, uh, or sorry, the charcoal trade is, you know, a big threat to the forest out there. Um, WWF did a study uh, not too long ago, and they found that around Virunga National Park in eastern DRC that um, about 80% of the charcoal that was fueling Goma, the city of Goma, came from Virunga National Park, and so that's all illegally sourced charcoal. And so it's clearly a big problem, and it's it's impacting uh, it's impacting the parks, and eventually, as the forest, if the forest, you know, did completely disappear, that would be terrible for people as well. So, you know, fuel-efficient stoves on average can reduce the amount of charcoal needed by about 50%. Um, so, you know, you have less time that people have to go out looking for charcoal or, or you know, of course, creating charcoal. Um, you know, you have better uh, respiratory health for the people that were cooking. Um, and, you know, through these projects that are uh, where you have communities actually producing the stoves, it's a job creator as well. Why weren't they using efficient stoves before? Um, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, I mean, I think I know there's been a lot of work in the development community to find like the perfect stove. And there's a lot of different varieties of them. I and mean, when I was there, I saw some that were. Um, you know, like restaurant sized or some that would have like a little a little oven in it. But for the most part, you know, people were just using what they had, which for a long time was just kind of a ring of stones. Um, you know, you just stick pot on top. I see. So as the metal became available, it becomes possible to make something efficient. And then you need a bit of R&D. You need somebody who can experiment and figure out what is going to be more efficient. Yeah. And, and now, I mean, in a place like Goma, there's actually a lot of kind of competing stove companies, which seems actually really great in a lot of ways because it's it's kind of proving that, you know, I mean, independent of all of the environmental and sort of development impacts, it also is a moneymaker. So it's good. Um, you've been doing this now for how long? Uh, almost two years in this in this role. And how many times have you been to 
on reporting trips in Central uh, Africa? I've done three reporting trips, and I'm about to leave for a fourth. And what are you looking forward to in your fourth trip? <laughs> um, well, one challenge that I enjoy with this job is sort of taking, um, you know, I work with a lot of scientists and policy people, and they get really excited about stuff that maybe doesn't excite the, re the rest of people, I guess. And so I like sort of trying to dive into that and figuring out how to make it exciting. And so this trip, it is land use planning, which, you know, might not excite you. Maybe it does. I don't know. But um, hopefully, you know, by the time I am able to go out there and, you know, produce some stories, hopefully it will get some people more interested. So that'll be a journalistic challenge. Yes. If anybody can make land use planning in Africa compelling, Molly, I'm sure that it's you. <laughs> Thanks. I hope so. It's been uh, really great to have you on the show and to hear about your work. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. Thanks for having me. This is the World Resources Institute podcast. My guest today is Molly Bergen. She's a communication officer with CARPE, the Central Africa Regional Program for the Environment. And we were discussing before if that has to do with carpe diem, seize the day. Certainly the conservation challenges there are urgent, and I'm glad that you're helping to bring them to the world's attention. Thanks so much. You can find the World Resources Institute podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and in other places. Until next time, I'm Lawrence McDonald. Thanks for listening.